Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red Channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined by Mo Stewart. Mo, what on earth is going on at Liverpool, mate? Honestly, I wish I could tell you. It's almost like the fact that the World Cup's happening has kind of distracted us from a lot. But the reality is, is that lots of things that don't often happen have happened in Liverpool's history once every four or five years. I've all happened in one space of like two or three weeks. And for us out on the outside, it's kind of hard to kind of gauge how worried we should be. Well, when the, when the, when the World Cup initially started, I think we were thinking like, how are we going to get through the five weeks here talking about Liverpool when Liverpool aren't playing? And um, we've been hit by two storms in the process. Yeah. Obviously, FSG selling up, uh, which was the top of a conversation a few weeks ago. And now, for those who aren't aware, I don't know where you've been, but for those who aren't aware, um, Julian Ward has announced that at the end of the season he will be resigning. And Ian Graham, who I know I've spoken about a lot on this podcast over the past few years, is following him out the door, by all accounts. So um, today's talk is obviously going to be about that. Uh, I don't know where to start, to be honest, Mo. I mean, I suppose when, when the initial... Ward news came out, your initial reaction was? Yeah, this is a hard subject for us because, <laughs> I mean, you said it yourself, this is a tactics and analytics podcast. I mean, we try not to deal too much with conjecture. We try to deal with facts, with numbers, with informed opinions. But when we're talking about players and football, we can do that because we can see the players. We can see the action. When we're talking about the guys in the back room and the guys who are doing the deals and all these kind of things, we can't because we don't. We're not in the room, so yeah. our informed opinions become slightly less informed. But for the basis of this show and for the benefit of you all out there, I've tried to kind of base most of my thoughts around the framework of what we do kind of know, and then just kind of build it out from there. So my initial reaction was Julian Ward stepping down a year not even a year into his official start of the job, because we know that he had been doing some shadowing of Edwards in his final time during the takeover. That is worrying, because that means that the plan that they had at that point is now not working for whatever reason. Now, is that because the club have decided to go in a different direction? Is that because Julian Ward has decided to go in a different direction based on the facts that are in front of him? We don't know yet, but all we know is that what was supposed to be working is now not working, and that's a cause for concern. Yeah, I, I was very surprised, I'll be honest. Um, and I, My initial reaction was not good, simply because I, I started immediately thinking about what it might might mean and what it suggests is going on behind the scenes. As you say, we can't really... we don't. The bottom line is we don't know, um, but we do have a bit of experience when it comes to covering football. Yeah. Um, I do my best to, to know all about the behind-the-scenes stuff and the backroom stuff and all that stuff. Um, so my initial thought was a concern because obviously Edwards has been at the helm for a while now. Um, he was head of analysis at Liverpool initially, set up Liverpool's analysis department. Liverpool didn't have an analysis department before Michael Edwards. And the word was that when Edwards was kind of growing in prominence in the early days, he clashed with Rogers, uh, because he he kind of let his opinion be known, um, fostered like a culture whereby you could speak up. Nobody was a yes man. Everyone can, can people can disagree and things like that. And then obviously Klopp comes in with Edwards already at the club. Edwards gets into a position where he becomes sporting director, and rightly so. And I think throughout Klopp's time at the club, Edwards has always been. 
the a kind of overseeing authoritative figure who who not only consults one of his primary skills has always reportedly been his ability to communicate not only with the football men, the traditional football men, but also with the nerds if you want. You can yeah. do both if you like. Um, and Edwards has always kind of shaped his opinions and his, his decisions around both sides, basically. And I think my concern has been that because Edwards has been the type of person that he is, where he will challenge the likes of Klopp and things like that, my worry would be, on the back of him leaving, uh, Ward obviously comes into the role. And Liverpool, I think, make a relatively uncharacteristic signing in Darwin Nunes. And then six months later, not even six months later, really, Ward announces that he's resigning. Mm. And the word is that Klopp is now more hands-on when it comes to recruitment and stuff. So I think what I'm getting at is my concern is it feels a little bit now that the first-choice primary teacher has left the room and the substitute teachers came in, the kids have gone a bit wild. That's how yeah. it feels a little bit. Um, but I don't know if I'm getting carried away there. No, I, I can I can see that line of thinking, definitely. I think one of the wider points to probably bring up this early is that considering the world of data and uh, and, and, and analysis, sorry, that's a hard one <laughs> to get about, it, it's, so, um, it's so derived by numbers and statistics and formula. Uh, people think it's robotic, that it's almost plug and play, anyone can do it. But the, the success of it, it's so key on the human element, the relationships between the people, how the teams work, how their numbers are interpreted and how those opinions are then informed and influenced. And the way that Liverpool have been so good is, like you say, it was the connection between Klopp and Edwards. I mean, I've seen an interview here today where they talk about, they used to call it the golden trio between Klopp, Edwards and Mike Gordon. And yeah. Mike Gordon's now off doing all the sale business. So he's kind of out of that loop as well. So... When you look at the way that they've worked so well, like you say, once Edwards has been removed for whatever reason, as much as Julian Ward was involved with those deals towards the end of the season in terms of Luis Diaz, in terms of Salah's new contract, the ones he got a lot of credit for, we still don't know who was doing what in the room. And when we say he was involved, he was there for the picture, but we don't know who was doing the chatting. So it could be that the, the relationship between Ward and Klopp is very different to the one between Edwards and Klopp for many reasons. Maybe Klopp feels as a more senior man, he has to take more on. And maybe that's the difference. But it's when you look at the actual, there's a whole corner tree in terms of the relationships between the two, in terms of the, the recruitment team and who they have, and then the analysis team within the recruitment team. And to think about how many different relationships have to be strong, have to be perfect at any point, it's remarkable how long we were successful for. So when you're looking at breaking that team up for whatever reason, it's always a sign for concern for me. However, it's not necessarily, I believe, the end of all analytics. I think that the way that Klopp has embraced it so readily over the years, I don't think is something he's going to completely dismiss. It might be something that he believes he knows a little bit more of now, having done it for so long. But... Again, the right people coming in and the right relationships and having people who, like Edwards, can ask the right questions and can test the manager in the right way can re restore that harmony and get us back on track, I think. Yeah, we, we will touch on the, the analytics thing a little bit further forward. But um, I think what I was getting at earlier is one of my concerns is just now that Edwards is kind of gone, I hope that Klopp hasn't really viewed this as an attempt to almost gain power, like a bit of a, a good attempt at a power grab. Um, and on the back of Edwards leaving, he saw it as an opportunity to gain more of a hold in terms of the club's recruitment, mm. perhaps alongside Linders. I mean, uh, because, go on. I was just going to say, that is something you do see from managers who've been in a job for a long time. Yeah, I think definitely. about Rafa Benitez, I think about Arsene Wenger, who's a really good example in this case. Uh, even Alex Ferguson. Um, so from that perspective, it wouldn't be a shock. It still doesn't a hundred percent feel like a Klopp move, though. Like he has no, been very, he has been very vocal about how much he enjoys and appreciates the group and the opinions of others. So 
whether there's something that's changed, whether there's a different voice in his ear that's telling him maybe we need to move away from it. I'm thinking Pep Linders, for example, or someone else within his team. I don't know. But from just from what I know of him, I'd be, I don't know. I, I can see it potentially how it might happen, but I'd still be shocked. No, I agree. And that, that's something I've, I've pushed over the years and in pieces and on this podcast. One of Klopp's biggest strengths, specifically in comparison to Rodgers, has been Klopp's willingness to appreciate his own limitations and appreciate the opinions held by the experts surrounding him. So it would be it would be uncharacteristic. But I don't know. I, I mean, without go, wanting to go full in the know, <laughs> <laughs> um, I have heard a few murmurs right from certain like sources that the dynamics is a bit weird between certain people behind the scenes and it's just made me think of it i don't know maybe Klopp over time has, has maybe changed his perspective on the type of player liverpool need and this is why i've just kind of referenced linda's because obviously linda's book came out uh, and one, one of the things he mentions in his book is he touches on liverpool's recruitment policy and one of the things he says is and he said this in a press conference i think as well he, he basically epitomized liverpool's recruitment policy as the academy and transformers. There's no kind of in between. So we we either sign an absolute gem from from the transfer market who's like already elite and established and all that, and it's probably going to cost a fair bit. Or the alternative would be we put faith in the kids like a Curtis Jones or a Harvey Elliott or a Calvin Ramsey or a Fabio Carvalho, whoever it might be, and there's kind of no mid ground. And um. I don't necessarily disagree with that as a policy, but I don't think that's always been the policy since Klopp took charge. I think that might have kind of adjusted over time, and I don't know if Linders has had a say in that or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just all kind of a bit weird at the minute, isn't it? I suspect you're right on that one. Actually, that very much chimes with what I was thinking, and the the some of the um, conjecture from certain people that I've heard also around uh, certain players who the team wanted to sign and the uh, coaching team overall to a certain extent. And maybe that's tied in with that change. The idea of the, the, the academy and the Transformers is all well and good, but I'm always bristle a little bit at anything that's such a hardline policy simply because it doesn't allow you room to manoeuvre when yeah. things change in ways you aren't expected. Uh, at this point, it's time to bring in the hefty elephant of injuries into the room, <laughs> which is another reason why there may have been disagreements between the people choosing the players and the people yeah. putting them onto the pitch. <clears throat> because it might be that too many of these players that they've recommended, that the, the, that's the one thing that analytics can't tell you, how likely someone is to get injured, unless they have already been injured once. If you've got someone with a clean record, they come in, they come into our training methods, they get injured then that becomes a problem. Think about the changes that's been in the medical department as well, which tells you that they're always, they're looking for something to change within there. And again, you notice all these different relationships and stuff like that. But talking about um, Klopp and his change in relationship with the data is interesting because I was looking at some interviews with Ian Graham and he said time and again that that's the point that um, is really important about Klopp is that he doesn't actually interfere too much. Like, in terms of the week-to-week -week relationship, there's not a lot of interaction between the coaching staff and the analytic team. If there's something specific he wants them to work on or to look at, they'll come in and do a presentation. Otherwise, it's just at certain points of the season, they'll have their meetings. Now, it could very well be that this change of idea, change of emphasis, this new lead from Pep Linders or whoever it comes from, might be trying to get more involved. And we said Klopp's more involved. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe he's asking more questions. Maybe he was banging on Ian Graham's door a bit too often and now he's a bit sick of it. This, this is where I think Edwards, Edwards came in because Edwards, for me, was the bridge between so many different departments, but specifically the guys on the coaching field and the, well, the nerds, there's no other way of putting it, really. <laughs> um, the bottom team, you know what I mean? The data team. Um Edwards was that bridge. Ed Edwards was the man who got in Ian Graham, who again we will touch on in the second half of the show, really. But Edwards was the man who got him in to construct a data science department from scratch. Liverpool didn't have one of those at the time. Um, 
and that whole idea was kind of pushed by FSG because John Henry has a background in data. He's you know his whole career has been has revolved around data and algorithms when it comes to investments and things like that. So John Henry is very much a data guy. He got in Edwards to kind of push that sort of thing, and then Graham was the the actual scientist who created it all. Um, and I think it's insistent that Graham, he hasn't actually just resigned. He resigned at the end of last season, which is when Edwards left. So I, I almost I, I think that's curious that Edwards has left, and right after Edwards leaving, Graham hands in his resignation as if to say potentially. Um, I don't know, the guy who has empowered me he is now gone. So I'm no longer needed almost in a weird sort of way or or, or it could be my job is done or whatever. But mm. before we get before we touch on speculation surrounding Graham anyway, I wanted to stay on the sporting director thing because um, one of the interesting elements that I thought was in a, a piece from The Athletic by James Pierce was one of the reasons for Ward leaving apparently was um, basically the remit that the job remit was not the same as before. So the job that he thought he was walking into, that wasn't actually the case when he got in the role, which to me does suggest that Liverpool are maybe moving towards that that kind of Ferguson model that, that you suggested uh, earlier in terms of the, the all-seeing, all-knowing manager kind of governing everything, really, in a way. Yeah, I mean that that's very much a reading of it. It's interesting. It could be maybe that it could be that the job is different in terms of what he's getting to do is different, or maybe it could be that the influence he's actually having on things is different. The margins that he's got to work with are different. So there is that within it. I think when you look to who they're potentially replacing him with, Julian Ward, and rumors have come out in the last couple of days that Sven Mislintat. Uh, formerly of uh, Borussia Dortmund, uh, of Arsenal, and most recently of Stuttgart, uh, would be looking to come in. And a very interesting appointment, simply because the main headline is that he worked with Klopp at Dortmund, and they have a very good working relationship. So if that is the case, then you could look at it and say, well, maybe they're getting in a sporting director who knows Klopp, likes him, Klopp likes him, they can work well together. And that might mean that maybe he'll allow Klopp more influence and that will be what Klopp is looking for. Or you could look at it and say this is going to be just a start of a more narrow transfer axis where Sven, Mislintat and Klopp are going to work on it together and the data team become more of a reference point than a, a voice in the room. Because Mislintat himself has actually got data background. Like he is, Before he started with Borussia Dortmund, he was working yeah. as a chief analyst for the Bundesliga, that's kind of how he got his connection with Dortmund. So he has an analytics and data background himself. So again, this could be something where between the two of them, they believe they have the range of skill set to be able to do it together. Obviously, we don't know if Mizzentat is going to be coming. The report suggested that he was open to the idea. He mean, he's not got any other job at the moment. So you can see how those stack up, whether or not it would work. That remains to be seen. Well, this this is one of the curious things about it, really. Um, when it comes to the role of a sporting director, the reason a sporting director has become so prominent in modern football is because most coaches last about 18 months and then get off. And the, the turnover when it comes to managers is so hectic that it makes sense not for the manager to decide the future of the squad, but for the sporting director to do it. Because if the manager was doing it, the squad would be undergoing wholesale changes every 12 to 18 months and you'd never have any consistency and things like that. So the purpose of a sporting director initially was to maintain a plan regardless of who's coaching the squad, basically. Um, I suppose one of the reasons why this is a weird case now is Klopp's obviously been in charge for about seven years, I think it is now. That's a long time. That's longer than a lot of coaches. Um, so naturally, I suppose the purpose of a sporting director in in this unique case is a little bit less needed, almost. Um, 
But then you still want a sporting director because if you don't have one, the manager has to do a lot. You know, he has to get deal with contract negotiations for players that you're going to be picking on a weekly basis and things like that. So it's very complicated. But one of the curious things about it is now, because Klopp's been in charge for so long, it could now be a case of Klopp has a, a huge say in who he essentially appoints as his his boss almost, which is in it, which is a really weird thing. Usually the sporting director will kind of identify the plan moving forward, what kind of football do we want to play, and you're going to appoint someone to install that football. But Klopp's got such power now at Liverpool mm. that he's essentially going to pick the guy who he's going to work with, tail wagging the dog a little bit. It's just a bit, it's just a weird, strange dynamic. But again, it, in a way, it makes sense because it's the natural thing that happens when a figure such as Klopp has been at your club for so long. It's, it's natural that he's going to grow in prominence like this. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah. And I mean, when you've been at the club for so long and you've been so successful, that normally means that you've been proven right time and time and time again. And there may have been times where there's been conversations. We know famously the ones where he got wrong regarding the whole Julian Brandt, Mo Salah business. But we don't know how many of them he's got right and how much that has built his standing within the upper echelons of the club. And also, we were talking about that triumvirate uh, of him, Mike Gordon, and uh, Mike Edwards. The fact that he's the only one of that triumvirate left and that the pe- the FSG see that triumvirate is so important, then he is naturally going to be assuming more authority from them and it, he can use it. The, the kink in all of this, though, is that, yes, Klopp signed a new contract, but he's still only going to be here for three more years, as it stands. So, is it, yeah, three years. So, after this season. So if he is gaining more and more power and then we're going to lose him in three years, that's so many other different departments to then untangle and reattach. And if you look at Manchester United and if you look at Arsenal and all the other clubs that had one man autonomous with all the power, when it when that man left, that was exactly the problem. So I would I think- be slightly concerned if that was where we were headed. I think it's a it's a great point, and it's exactly what I was going to touch on next. Actually, um, what I was going to say was, if Liverpool are going down this route where Klopp is be is being hailed as the Almighty, and he's kind of the main voice now, as opposed to a sporting director and a, and a that sporting director heavily relying on the data that he's supported by, um, if it's now going to be a bit of a reverse in time where you go back to a model where the manager does everything, like Ferguson. Ferguson comes to mind. If you look at United's recruitment under Ferguson, it was okay. It wasn't It wasn't bad by any means. You know, If you think of the players he, he picked up over the years, there's a reason he won so many titles. It was because, for the most part, United had the best squad. Mm-hmm. Ferguson was, was a good recruiter. He was good at that. Um, and a lot of that stemmed from just his, his knowledge of exactly what he needed after being in charge for so long. Um, his ability to, to work a squad, which Klopp is very good at working a squad as well. Um, so if this is the change, and if it's now going to be Klopp as the, as the main guy, I I actually think Liverpool's scouting and recruitment in the next few years at least might not be that bad. It might, it might not be affected that much. My worry would be, as you say, when he leaves has the potential to collapse everything and and we saw that with Ferguson United are still wandering around in the dark and as a means of replacing Ferguson rather than then moving towards the sporting director model United try to find another Ferguson by appointing really big figures like a Van Al or a, or a Mourinho and no one could live up to 
one could live up to him. No, no one could fill his boots. Um, Ten Hag now in charge, and it looks like they're still sticking with that model because they still don't have a sporting director. And Ten Hag looks like he's overseeing their recruitment because he's just signed about fourteen players from the Eredivisie. <laughs> so it's that would be my concern if Klopp's going to do this now. And again, I'm really speculating here, but if Klopp's going to do this, my worry wouldn't be that much short term. It would be more when he leaves, it's going to be hard enough anyway. And this is going to make it harder if this is the switch. I agree. I think it's like I say, it's, there's so much more to untangle. And the, the the kind of the example of Ferguson is an interesting one because he was able to do the job of both. Um, be the kind of sporting director and the coach in a way that, on oh, the manager, should I say, in a way that lots of others didn't. Primarily because, in particularly in the later days, he was doing less of the actual coaching. Like, obviously, at the time he had Carlos Kiros, it was um, lots of known that he was involved heavily in the tactical side of thing and taking training, etc. Uh, Ferguson became more of an overseer, so he was basically managing the relationships of the squad. He was still picking the team, obviously, but he had more time to be freed up with the other side of it. I don't see, I mean, maybe Pe- Klopp sees Pep Linders doing something similar for him. I'm not sure. I think Klopp will still want to be involved in all those other parts. So it might become too much for him. But the other thing that we have to factor into all of this as well, and the other thing that kind of cuts across all these potential changes and the reasons for them is the sale. Yeah. So the sale means that we could have new people at the very top of this pyramid that I've been talking about. And if their mind changes, then everything changes. So, And every single one of those rungs on the ladder are affected. Now, we don't know how far along any sale is. We don't know who's coming in. We don't know what their plans are. But that element of doubt could be enough to cause ructions within. And we don't know what indications they've been given as to what the future may hold and whether that's influenced their now decisions. But it's it's difficult to, to look too far ahead within that. What we know about Klopp himself is that he has very much a distinct loyalty to the players who've got him so far. He believes that the squad that he has is such a high bar that you have to be extremely good to get into it. Follows him what you were saying earlier about Pat Blanders in terms of the Transformers. Now, when you have that high bar within your squad and then you start to become the main voice in terms of making transfers, it then becomes trickier for you to try and reevaluate. You need someone else who's going to come in and be like, we know how good he's been, but he's not as good as he was. This guy here is as good as he was then and can be better. We need him now. And having someone else that you trust to be able to say, okay, let's do it. If it's just yourself, then more often than not, you're going to find indecision. And I compare it to Arsene Wenger again. He didn't have someone in those latter days that he could really trust to be his right-hand man, to bounce things off of, et cetera, et cetera. And he suffered for it. And you look at the 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 problems of the past, both with all of those other mentions, and you look at what Klopp went through at Dortmund, and you think this is a man who's seen it all, is intelligent enough to avoid those particular pitfalls. And as I've said, if Sven Mizintak comes in, it could be a sign to either way. It could be that he's got someone in who he can lean on, or it could be he's got someone in who he trusts enough that when he tells him he's wrong, he'll listen. So yeah. if it is Mizintak who comes in, We'll have to wait and see and kind of cross our fingers on that one. Yeah, I mean, I've just touched on the the positives there about, you know, if Klopp does oversee recruitment like Ferguson did, it's not guaranteed to go wrong and like that. It's more of a future thing further down the line when he leaves. But I do have some concerns that I could go wrong just based on a few examples. So first of all, I I, I don't like bringing it up because people don't seem to like it. But (laughs) a few years back, he... He did want Julian Brandt, and uh, we ended up getting Salah upon recommendation of Edwards, reportedly led by um, Ian Graham as well. Um, and Klopp was was willing to listen, and you know, props to him for, for that. But, and I will throw in there as well that some people have said to me, if Klopp had got Brandt, who's to say he wouldn't have transformed him into a world beater? And that's a fair comment. 
But I still think, you know, Mo Salah's Mo Salah. Come on. Like, it's a bit of a different level. Yeah. Um, so, I, th- I think that's, that's an obvious example. The season before, Klopp wanted Mario Gotze. Um, and we ended up getting Sadio Mane for a number of reasons. I don't think Gotze wanted to come in the end. But th- there's another example of, of, of Klopp being loyal, by the way. You know, going back for a former player there. Yeah. Uh, going to Germany for Brandt. Um, I think he did that with... Who else has he done that with? In terms of uh, the Liverpool squad this summer, obviously he's put his faith in, in keeping James Miller for another season. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, Naby Keita. When it would have been a bit more beneficial, I think, to cut ties at that point. Um, so there, there's a few examples there of, of some decisions that might have needed a bit of work. Mm. And in terms of, say, for example, Thomas Tuchel, nobody would question Thomas Tuchel's level as a coach. He's very, very good. He's one of the best in the world, in my opinion. It wasn't that long ago that he was absolutely convinced that he needed a number nine at Chelsea to win the league in Romelu Lukaku. And Chelsea spends 100 million on him, and it made them worse. And that is an example of a coach who is as qualified as you can possibly get. But in terms of his uh, diagnosis of the squad and what he needs, what the missing piece is, Tuchel was wrong, and yeah. that 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 can happen. So I, I think I think this is where the the group decision thing comes into it, and and where that can prosper. Especially if you're applying data to the problem to assess yes. where you need where you need because if you've asked loads of Liverpool fans since Klopp's took charge, that I think most Liverpool fans, the large majority, every season up until when we won the Champions League, maybe the biggest response probably would have been, "We need a proper striker. We need a proper striker." <laughs> and it wasn't until Liverpool finally conquered the world that people were like, "You know what? For me, it was all right." Um, so this this diagnosis of what's what the problem is and what you need in the market, I don't doubt that Klopp has the ability to diagnose that properly, like Ferguson did often. But it's just a risk, isn't it? Just to take up on that responsibility on your own and that. And I don't know. No, it is a it is a massive risk, and the chances are the hit rate is going to not be as high as it's been for the last three to four years. <laughs> I think it's funny as well talking about the Firmino example, every time he has a bad run, the first thing everyone says is we need a big striker again. So (laughs) it's not like people forget. (laughs) But um, yeah, there is, like I said before, we famously know the times when he's wrong. We don't know the times when he's been right. But the interesting thing on the whole Brandt Salah thing is uh, there's some quotes from Ian Graham himself here. And his idea on the thing is that not only was it that Klopp wanted Brandt, it's that they provided a list of players who they thought would be suitable. The Salah was at the top. And Klopp, when he first saw the list, he said that none of those players were good enough. So it wasn't even that he wanted Brandt, it's that he didn't believe Salah was good enough. Now, obviously, Graham uses that story as a way to say that we changed his mind and he was amenable and it worked. And I do wonder whether that rather large example is enough for Klopp to say, well, okay, maybe I do always still need someone to, to kind of bounce off of, I'm not going to be right all of the time because nobody is right all of the time. And when it comes to the and, and that, the analysis, I don't know why I'm struggling with that word today, which is quite <laughs> unfortunate considering the topic of the yeah, show. It's quite an important <laughs> word for the show, really. Yeah. <laughs> but but, but when, it, when it comes to it, like I said at the top, it's not just about the numbers. It's about how you analyse the numbers, how you work out which ones are important, which ones aren't important. And... There are, as we're probably going to come to when we get onto the Ian Graham section, there are other people within the club who still do value that, who I'm hoping are going to be able to rise through and have as much influence. But you can believe that you are reading it well and analysing it well up to a point, but you may not realise how much that's based on the group and how much you are being funnelled into a certain area by the data that's already been presented to you. So... It's a really complex thing. And again, without knowing the nature of the relationships between the the people and also just knowing Klopp and what he believes he can and can't or should or shouldn't do, we don't know which direction it's going to end up, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, you've just touched on Ian Graham there. We we won't hang about any longer. We will go to the world (laughs) now Uh, and we'll move away from the sport and direct the thing. 
So <laughs> this is a, this is a delicate one, this because a lot of people, from what I've seen at least, because they haven't heard them, their response has been, for the most part, basically suggesting that we're massively overplaying his impact, and um, he's probably a nobody, and he's just some random guy behind the scenes who doesn't actually have an impact on anything, uh, and all that sort of stuff. I personally disagree. Uh, I've done everything I can over the past few years to learn as much about this guy as possible, which is very hard because he just doesn't want the spotlight at all. He's completely under the radar. And, uh, you know, as I've said before, he, he, he turns down interviews. Um, there was no announcements when the club acquired the services back in 2012. Um, but I think this is a huge loss. I'm not sure how much you know about him, Mo, because I, I know a lot of people don't even know his name, but... Um, I think it's a big, big loss. This. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. No, it is. I, he's someone who I've learned more about since he's announced he's leaving. I have to admit, I knew <laughs> he was. A, I knew his role within the, the team. I knew exactly what he did and how important the data was. But what I didn't realize was how specifically him, his personality in terms of creating the team, in terms of being able to work out who works, who doesn't work, what works, what doesn't work. And to start the ideas of looking for certain things, because, I mean, when you go back to when Liverpool first started dabbling this, I mean, Damien Camoli, he kind of wanted to get someone who could use the data and the video side, but also work out what's good data and what's not bad, what's bad data or irrelevant data, so to speak. Yeah, And Graham was the one who convinced him that. And then from there, that relationship grew and they saw what was more was possible. Graham got more influence and it became a team that was really, um, really worked well. Interesting fact about that as well. Harry Redknapp actually plays a massive part in our success because <laughs> yeah, he it does, was yeah. Harry Redknapp who brought Edwards to Spurs and yeah. then who put them in, him and Graham together. And that's when they, which is mad when you think about the, the perception of Harry Redknapp and then the perception of data analysts. It was him who was the catalyst for one of the best teams there's ever been. I just love that. But um... there's, there's a, a famous story actually. Um, when Harry Redknapp was at Portsmouth, Edwards was the the data guy there. He was head of analysis there. Um, and but at that point, it was I, I suppose you could say he was very much ahead of the, ahead of the cave. Uh, Edwards, Harry Redknapp was a bit more traditional. <laughs> so, but he appreciated that Edwards knew what he was talking about and stuff. And uh, at one point, Edwards gave Harry Redknapp a CD-ROM full of um, data. So, <laughs> so Harry Redknapp puts it on his car, puts the CD <laughs> in his car, and uh, he rings Edwards up and goes, e- "Eddie, there's nothing, nothing's coming out, nothing's getting played." <laughs> As soon as you just, said CD Rob, I knew what was coming. Yeah, it just it just sums up really, doesn't it? That um, you know, the the lack of expertise, maybe you could call it back then. But, um, but obviously, but, this player data is not going to come out in audio and in the car, <laughs> you know. So, but but to Harry's credit, he recognised that this thing that he had no idea about was important, and yeah. that he rec- and that's the key, isn't it? It's being able to look outside your own sphere of influence. And, and and build a relationship with someone for the greater good. And that again, I think that's what Liverpool have been built on, which is why I'm very interested in the rest of the team. Like you say, they're all so shadowy. It's like Liverpool's version of MI5, which I also <laughs> think is fantastic. Because yeah, there's, <laughs> there's, there's a Tim Basket, there's a David Steele and yeah. William Spearman. And I, Vasquez and, and Spearman and Steele, I believe, are still going to be remain. We've not heard that they're leaving. So, whether they are going to resume uh, the head of the department and things can continue in situ to a certain extent, I don't know. But we've seen throughout the club's history 
that when you've got something that works really well, recruiting from within and keeping that continuity, particularly at a time when continuity is in very short supply across the club, might be important. And Spearman in particular, with him being an American, lots of the chatter is, is that the new owners will potentially be American, that that's the pool that they're fishing in. Because he is an American, he's data started in American sports, in baseball, and American football. So he can speak the language of any new owners, but he knows the key differences between those sports and football. He knows what parts don't work, what don't translate, and what does. So you can look at it and say, it's not necessarily all going to crumbling down if those people remain in situ and you get someone in like Mizintat, who I said, who has an appreciation of data. And if you see something that's already working, then maybe it can stay together. The other little problem is, well, the fact that Edwards has gone, and then like you say, Graham very quickly, um, his resignation, that team is so strong. What, what if they're trying to team up somewhere else? <laughs> Don't say that. I mean... I mean, it's, 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 it, we can't rule it out as a possibility. The fact that someone is, yeah. because those relationships are so strong. That's the thing. Maybe Ian Graham's saying, you know what? There's just no one who works well with, apart from Michael Edwards. So, and we don't know what Michael Edwards is doing. There's been rumors, again, that clubs are very interested in him. I fail to believe that he's just going to do nothing because he has been made. The, the the king of this world, so to speak, from the the way that we speak about him. So the mm. idea that no other club would want him, I think, is madness. So he's going to be available. If he becomes available, you know he's calling Ian Graham. And if the two of them are together somewhere, that might be enough to start tempting some of the others away. I don't know why I'm talking myself into this. But <laughs> the, point, the point is, is that, again, the team itself... My, the, and the systems that they've put together may be strong enough to withhold Graham leaving, but that doesn't mean it's not a massive blow. Yeah, just on Edwards, actually, I, one of my theories on it is that I am not sure he'll come back as a sporting director. I think his next role might be higher, um, oh, okay. where he's not specifically involved in recruitments and things like that. I think he might go higher than that, but um, that's just a random theory of mine. But you mentioned Spearman there as well. I went to uh, the Stats 1 conference a couple of months ago. Um, I think it was October, November, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and Spearman gave a talk there. Uh, he, he is very, very smart and very, very clever and ridiculously qualified for the role. Uh, Liverpool's data team was there, actually, at the time, in attendance. They were there the year before as well. And uh, Edwards was there as well, insistently, um, even though he's no longer in the role. But he was yeah. sat with Liverpool's data team even though he resigned by that point. Um he turns up turns up with a fake name usually. Just so that, <laughs> really? so that no, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that nobody um I tell you they're MI five. They are. Yeah, yeah. It's, and and it's, he was there recruiting all of them by the way. That's what he was doing. Yeah, it's proper under the radar stuff, mate. Um but in terms of Ian Graham anyway, for those who aren't really aware, I did write a piece on him during the week. You can check that on my Twitter if you want to read it. Um but in terms of like, I suppose a basic overview where do we start? In terms of um, his, his education, he started off as a, he's a physics, a, a Cambridge graduate um, in terms of physics, I think. I think I might say that. Uh, but he didn't really want to go down the route of academia and things like that. So he explored football, always been a Liverpool fan. And um, he, he kind of had, anyone who's seen Moneyball, Jonah Hill in that is kind of... Um, Ian Graham in a way, where he's got real perspectives on how the game should be played, real perspectives on the myths in the game, especially and all the daft cliches that circulate in football and things like that. And he started to debunk those as early as 2006, from what I've seen. Um, he contributed to a weekly column for the Times, a stats-based column, which was well ahead of its time. Um, and each topic you know, per week was was along the lines of like, does the weather really impact matches? Um, is two 0 really the most dangerous scoreline in football? And and things like that. And he'd tackle a different topic every week using data for a company called Decision Technology. Um, 
at the time, Decision Technology were consulting for Tottenham Hotspur. It was an exclusive agreement with Spurs. And the man at Spurs at the time was Damien Camoli. And the man underneath Damien Camoli was Michael Edwards. And that's kind of where the relationship started to foster. Um, eventually, Camoli leaves and goes to Liverpool, takes Edwards with him. And Edwards initially suggests, and Henry goes forward with this, John Henry goes forward with this and tries to buy Decision Technology outright. Um, but because of the exclusive agreement with Spurs, it, you know, it wasn't a goal in the end and it, it couldn't be done. So the way John Henry got around that was he's basically said, well, I'll take your stats, man. So he offered uh, Ian Graham a job, took him to Anfield, and his job was basically build Everton up from the ground because Liverpool didn't have a data science department at the time. And over the last decade, he's built Everton from scratch and constructed a team of about, I think it's five or six people, four or five, six people. Um, and Liverpool have now got to a point where it's it's industry leading and it, it, it's filtered throughout the fabric of the club. A lot of decisions are data-driven, stemming from John Henry and FSG's culture. That that should be the case. He did that in uh, baseball as well. Um, and Ian Graham has been the guy to transform Liverpool into this data-driven club, if you want, behind the scenes. Um, and one of the, the... The big selling point with data has always been if you incorporate data into the into your decision making, you should become more efficient in your decision making, and I think that's very telling. Considering in the past couple of years, Liverpool are now commonly regarded as probably the most efficient club on, on the continent, really, when it comes to recruitment. And it's after about ten years of Graham being at the club, so that's a rough background, I suppose. I'm not sure what that sounded like. I've just rambled for ages, but. What I'm trying to get at is he's important. <laughs> oh no, I think that was very much came what came across. I mean, the best example of that, like you say, um, Liverpool took Ian Graham. They didn't take design technology, and look at what happened to Liverpool and look what happened to Spurs in that period yeah. in terms of signings. So it really is the men behind the data, not just the data, and the building of the team has been one of the key things that Ian Graham's done because he's identified exactly like you say he's been able to work out what is important what isn't important while debunking some of those myths and he's built people who can help improve that so it's like they've got mathematicians on there they've got physicists on there and they're in there working about football and it works and it clearly has worked for such a long time and you hope as i said before that all of those ideas and that philosophy that he has been passed down to the rest of his team and that his team are willing and able to take up the mantle. Yeah, well, I was going to say then, although he's leaving, it should be said that everything he's built will be left behind. So that that's not going anywhere. Everything he's constructed is still there. All the models he's constructed are still there. And I suppose an example of, of why his models are so effective Again, going right the way back to 2006, rather than judging players like we do on this podcast, <laughs> to be honest, based on it, how many progressive passes he might play, how many shots he might have, how many interceptions he makes. As early as 2006, Graham was basically grouping everything that a player does on the pitch and, and, and forming kind of like one mighty stat. It's yeah. so one number on the back of everything the player does on the pitch and basically associating that number with, with points over the course of the season. So rather than us pointing out that Darwin Nunes shoots a lot, Graham would be able to say, based on his models, Darwin Nunes over a full season is worth 10 points to Liverpool yeah. or, you know... Joel Massop's worth 4.5 points to Liverpool or whatever it might be. And if you've got that behind you, you can make calculated recruitment decisions then based on that. You can let the players go who aren't really worth that many points and you can get the players in who are delivering loads of points for Porto or AS Roma or Southampton or whoever it might be. And over time, Liverpool have done exactly that, really. Uh, and we got to a point where we're, we're like a ninety a ninety eight point team at one point, was we? Yeah. Um. 
you know, which is ridiculous, you know, breaking records really, apart from Manchester City just being annoying in the way. But um, over time, Liverpool have done exactly that. And although he's constructed a team of scientists who I suppose could technically step into his shoes in a way, one of the weird things about it, and I, I, I had a podcast during the week on Red Men TV, I mentioned this. I think it's really interesting that all of his data science team are Welsh. <laughs> Except for Will Spearman, um, who was kind of outsourced as this genius. But what I mean by the Welsh is Graham is also Welsh. And as a rough guess, this is I've got no real evidence behind this, but it looks like he's kind of just employed his mates. Um, people who he's kind of studied with in university and, and people who he knows can do exactly what he needs them to do in a data science capacity in football to build the department that he was building. Um, so what I mean by that is, will they want to stay without him there? Um, you know, well, do they do they have as much of an interest as he does? I don't know. It's you know what I mean. Human relationships, man. I'm telling you, it's the most important part of all of this. It's the most important part of football, if you think about it, because it permeates every single different part from two guys in an analyst room to two guys standing next to each other on the pitch. It really is everything. And like you say, the fact that he's built a team of people, because it might not necessarily be people he's known because, you know, Wales is quite big. He might not necessarily have known them. But there is necessarily a sensibility that you have as a Welshman that maybe that, in, when it can be interpreted in terms of these kind of things, like you say, debunking myths, maybe a little bit more down to earth about those kind of things. And those kind of personality traits and human elements are important because you're marrying that with the data and that's where the success comes. So again, you should have sat with them when you were at the conference. You could have worked out exactly what they were up to unless they were all talking in Welsh. But um, (laughs) (laughs) I think it's going to be so fascinating seeing who does come in because Spearman is the interesting one with him being not only the American, but obviously he's he's the, the old man out who was recruited in late, like you say, very much as a genius. So in terms of someone who may well have his own ideas that can maybe take the club forward into the next step and maybe develop what's already there, maybe that's what they're looking for. I'm, I'm hopeful that that can be a plan that works. Obviously, if tomorrow it turns out that he's leaving too, then we might be screwed. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's interesting to know that uh, it's, some people have, have pointed out to me that one of the reasons maybe that we're overplaying this is because maybe he just thinks his job is done and he wants to leave and change industry or take up a different job opportunity or whatever it might be. And that could be correct. You know, I, I, I don't know yet. Um, but one of the reasons I would have an, an, an element of doubt with that is Ward's departure coupled with it. You know, if Ward is also leaving, it just doesn't bode well for... Because when it comes to people like Graham, Graham's not the only one who does this sort of thing. There's there's other scientists and, and yeah. data science departments at other clubs across Europe. One of the reasons Liverpool have been able to do what they do is because in addition to being a massive club, the data people have been massively empowered and, and listened to. Whereas, for example, somewhere like Barcelona, their data science department is brilliant, but they, no one cares <laughs> at the top of the club. They don't listen. They don't get listened to, so it doesn't make a difference. Um, and I, I would just worry that I, I just hope he's not leaving because he no longer thinks he's being valued. That would be my worry. Um, yeah. Because if if that's the case, then it suggests that moving forward okay, the analytics stuff will still be there and the numbers will still be there and stuff, but will the people be listened to type thing? That, that, that's my worry. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? No, it is. And again, it's the part that we can't answer because you might even have a situation where Klopp, say it is, for example, Spearman who stays and heads up the team. Klopp won't know him personally that well probably, but he'll know his work. And he will have faith and trust in it, hopefully. And you can say maybe Sven Mizintat comes in. And as I said previously, he's someone with an appreciation for data analysis. Maybe he's clearly seen the good work Liverpool have done. And he can come in. And the three of them can form a great little triumvirate again. But then 
the owners above them come in with completely different ideas and that triumvirate suddenly becomes irrelevant. So again, that part is so important to all of the rest that we can't really start to kind of see how clear the pitch is going to be until that's in situ. Yeah, I mean, I should say that. In fact, I should definitely say this because I've been almost told to really. But the word from the club, the official word from the club is that we are still going to do analytics and we are still going to do data and all that stuff. So I need to put that out there firmly. But I suppose my worry would just be if I was to go and, if I was to give a, a, a spreadsheet of numbers or whatever to my dad, <laughs> he's not going to have a clue what he's looking at me. No. What I'm getting at there is the ability to translate numbers and interpret them is a skill. And it's something that Graham's been doing for about two decades, nearly. Um, it's definitely a skill. And just as an example, in the early years of Prozone, the big kind of taken, the big thing you took from from Prozone was physical stats at the time. Distance covered, funnily enough. <laughs> uh, <laughs> things like that, sprints and all that. And in the very, very early days, players were actually scouted and targeted because they were covering lots of distance. And it looked like, in the, in the eyes of managers at least, oh, they must work hard. And that is not the take. That's that's not how it works. That's not how distance covered works. Um, that's one of the reasons it's my two as a handle, funnily enough, because it's it's a stat, but it's one that's heavily misinterpreted a lot of the time. Um, so that's that's an example of potentially recruitment decisions being made based on data, but the wrong interpretation of what the data is telling them almost. So without Graham there, okay, you've got other scientists there, and someone might step into his shoes and things like that. That's fine. But Klopp won't be able to just start using Graham's models is what I'm getting at. You know, there's, there's got to be some form of structure where that's a dedicated department and that the, the insights delivered by that department are kind of gathered by someone else who then probably feeds it to Klopp or something like that, you know what I mean? Definitely. I mean, going back to what you were saying about Ian Graham and translating the true value down to a points number, taking everything that he knew, all of his knowledge, all of the data points that 1.5 million data points per match from from the cameras and then the other 2,000 from Opta, taking them all, translating them all into one figure. So you say, this man is worth this many points. Yeah. Who do you think he was doing that for? Managers and owners who have no idea about data. He was translating <laughs> what he knew to people so they could simply understand it. That's literally what his job was. He invented that whole side of doing it. So, yes, he's very important. And no, not necessarily everyone can do it like he does it. Yeah. I mean, as I said, he's, he is very important. And people do come and go in jobs. But what one of the things that I haven't actually said it yet, but you, you cannot be more experienced than he is when it comes to this. Because as of the very origin of data science and football, he was right there. You know, so there's there's nobody in the field that Liverpool can get that's more experienced than this guy. He's been doing it for as long as you possibly can be doing this sort of thing. Um, so it's it's going to be interesting anyway. Um, bit of a different kind of podcast today because I suppose just soaked in uh, speculation and and conspiracies and rumours. No, it's not like us at all, but there's no other way we can really do it, especially with the MI5 guys. <laughs> I think we did a decent job, though, of kind of, like I said at the beginning, we tried to frame it within the realms of what we do know for sure and what we have seen and then tried to make the speculation there. I don't think there were too many hot takes. I don't think we're going to end up being quoted on the back of the Daily Star or something. <laughs> well, I'm trying I'm trying not to be definitive in, in, in anything that I say, really. I'm trying to frame everything that I'm saying as a question almost because it's just, all of this is just stuff I'm wondering about really rather than else. I am still massively concerned that Graham's left because I know how good he is but the overall thing for me with Liverpool at the minute is just loads of questions and how things are going to look in 12 months, 18 months or whatever Um, but hopefully you know Liverpool remain as 
as a really shrewd operation. I think I'm not sure how many listeners we have in America, but th- those who follow basketball will be aware of the um the term from Jerry Krause where he says uh, players don't win championships, organizations do. Um and personally I'm I, I do agree. <laughs> I know a lot of people won't, but I do definitely believe in the team behind the team being massively essential behind success. Um, so yeah, thanks for joining us, Mo, for what was a bit of a weird podcast. No worries, man. I enjoyed it. And uh, we'll be back next week. So thanks for tuning in, and we will see you then. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red Channel.